This podcast is based on real-life events that are portrayed to the best of Athena and Amber's memory and also backed by court records and other factual evidence. While all the stories in the podcast are true, some names and identifying details have been changed to protect the privacy of the people involved. Previously on Ex-Wives Undercover, I anonymously received a video of Ben displaying what looked like a handgun in the front passenger seat of his vehicle. I relayed the information to the detective on Rachel's case. And by the end of that day, on March 11th, the day before Amber's birthday, I received a phone call from the detective on Rachel's case. And he informed me that Ben had been arrested at Rachel's home. The events that transpired were absolutely gruesome and shocking. Fortunately, Ben was now behind bars. But unfortunately, Ben still had one more con up his sleeve to try and harass me. Season 2, Episode 12, The Trial Welcome to Ex-Wives Undercover. Liars, cheaters, and love cons. I'm Amber. And I'm Athena. First we told our story... And now we're sharing all of your craziest and most heart-wrenching stories of love gone wrong. Sometimes we laugh. And sometimes we cry. But more importantly, we we stand stand together. together. All right, girl. You ready to do this? Let's do it. The views, information, or opinions expressed on our show by our guests are solely the views of those individuals involved and by no means represent absolute facts. Opinions expressed by the host and guests may change at any time. Our podcast and YouTube show may at times cover sensitive topics, including but not limited to suicide, abuse, violence. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. Ben was incarcerated in the El Dorado County Jail for almost a year before he was set to go to trial. While we would have loved to attend, it simply wasn't possible being one to two states away with full-time jobs and families to take care of. As we mentioned before, Ben wasn't going to go down without a fight, and he was willing to do anything to prove his innocence. If you remember from the last episode, Ben had told several versions of what happened thus far, from simply going to Rachel's house to pick up a dog he bought for her and ultimately trying to rescue her from the man in her home, to being drunk and not remembering anything. When that didn't work, he came up with a new plan that would explain away his behavior the night he attacked Rachel. He had alleged traumatic brain injury that he had received from the police eight months prior when he was found in a park unconscious. With this new plan of action, Ben was adamant that he would not be taking a plea deal. In fact, he was going to fire the public defender he had and con his mother into hiring a high-priced defense lawyer. And this was before trying his best to con his biological father first, a man he only reconnected with for the first time three years prior. Here's Chuck in his own words. But he said he was trying to make amends with me. And I said, Brian, it's kind of a little late for that, isn't it? And he says, no, we, you know, I, I didn't have much of a father figure or whatever. And now I want to have one. I said, Brandon, but you've been doing all this stuff that's not good and violent and everything. And I said, why? He said, well, I need you. So, 
stupid me, I turned around and said, okay. I'll, he called me like probably three times a week and turned around and said, can you send me some money? So I sent him money and put it on his books. And, uh, and then I, he said, will you come to court? I said, yeah, I'll go to court. And so every time he had a court hearing, I was there. And, but when, when he, when I heard everything that went on in the sentencing, I was just horrified, disgusted, and didn't under, did not, did not want to have anything to do with him anymore. After I heard all of that stuff and everything else, and he, 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 you know, he just when the when the judge and the DA were talking to him. He turned around and just, you know what, you, you don't know what you're talking about. That's what he said. He broke out right in court saying, you don't know what you're talking about and everything. And I, I was shocked. I mean, totally shocked. And his own lawyer came to me and told him that he, he is a, he a complete nutcase and a liar and everything else. And I hope. After this, I don't have to hear or see him anymore. His own lawyer. Was it true that he wanted you to pay for a new lawyer? Yep. Do you, can you see his manipulation? Like when he needs something from somebody, yep. he thought, oh, he'll play the dad card and, and I just want to, yep. you know, mend things. But that really was to his advantage. He He was playing you and just like he's played everybody. You know, it's 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 hard. Yeah. If you're not like dialed into that kind of behavior, it's easy to to give them that benefit of the doubt. And you know, you showed up thinking you were doing the right thing when ultimately he was just in it for himself and what he could get. Yeah, that's it. And what gets me about the whole thing is when he called me and said, "I want you to get me another lawyer." I said, "Brandon, I talked to the lawyer you got." He's a good guy. He wants to do the work for you. He's trying to fix it where you can go to a mental facility and get some psychiatric care, and he won't have to go to prison. Well, I'm not nuts. I said, Brandon, the guy is trying to work out something so you don't want to spend the next 20 years in jail. No, I don't want him anymore. I'm going to fire him. I'm going to fire him. And everything else. So he calls his mother and tells his mother that I agreed to pay half the fee for a new lawyer. And then she called me and she said she got this lawyer and everything else and she needs $10,000 from me. And I said, I didn't agree to that. I told him to keep the lawyer he's got because the guy's working for him. He's doing the right job for him and everything else. No, Brandon said you you said he'd do it. I said no, I didn't. And I said you went you went and turned turned around and said hired an attorney and give him ten thousand dollars. She said no. And I said why? Why would you do that, Barbara? I told you that that I had been talking with his lawyer and his lawyer was doing a fantastic job for him and everything else, but he would not. He doesn't listen. He thinks he knows everything. And now you're going to end up paying. I'm not giving you ten thousand dollars. That's it. I told you, no way. And that was it. 
Additionally, as we mentioned in the last episode, Ben contacted Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Melinda Henenberger from the Sacramento Bee to write an expose article about his experience with the El Dorado police and court system. Leading up to the trial, she pieced together a well-crafted story that painted the real truth, and it began as follows. Brandon Johnson first wrote to me from the El Dorado County Jail in Placerville last May and opened by describing himself as, quote, a proud father of two young girls cruelly separated from them because the county sheriff beat me almost lifeless from head to toe after approaching me over a mistaken identity on July 4th, 2021. Johnson was only in jail, he said, because the injuries he'd suffer in that unprovoked attack had so altered his personality and behavior that ever since, I have acted out in ways I never have before in my life. Well, no. Almost nothing that he told me in that initial letter was true, including even the part about being a proud father. But one thing Johnson, who turned 44 in August, said is accurate. Law enforcement should have taken his law-breaking over the previous 20 years far more seriously. Looking back over the years, he wrote, I wish the legal system had stepped in to offer me more help. Seeing a pattern of off-the-wall behavior, the most that ever happened was fines. Six women in three states collectively filed at least 17 protective orders against him, but what happened as a result was this. Nothing. Here is a candid conversation between myself and Amber as we review some of the information we learned from the court transcripts during the months leading up to the trial. So I spent a small fortune to get the transcripts and it's interesting because they would not give me police reports. Everything's sealed. It's very strange. So I could get the transcripts, but I couldn't get police reports. I couldn't get 911 phone calls. I couldn't get a few things. And so what, for whatever reason, we even had the, um, Chris Macras, the detective try to help us and he couldn't even get us some of the information, but I think you'll get a kick out of some of this stuff, not a kick, but it's just, it'll be interesting to talk about. I have some notes from March 16th at the arraignment. So as you can imagine, he gets a court appointed defense lawyer. And there, most of the talk is that his defense lawyer is basically saying, I want him out on bail. There's no reason to have, you know, a no bail situation. So then (laughs) Brandon's attorney, this is what he says. Defense would ask the court to impose some sort of bail to not do this as a no bail case. My client, Brandon Johnson has no record as indicated in the report. And then he goes on to say, so no record, like, do you not do your due diligence on your clients? You just take them willy nilly and you can't do a basic police record background search. Do you remember the interview we had? And um, there was a professor, a law professor, I think was on with us. And they'd asked us a question, the gals from the other pod. And I said, what about some type of fine for attorneys that did not do their due diligence in checking what they're being told by their clients, especially in criminal type situations. Because like you just said, again, he presented that to the judge that Brandon had no priors at all, no convictions of domestic violence, nothing. When clearly there are multiple and it would have been very easy to see that 
if he would have even looked or had somebody, maybe a paralegal look for him. Like, right. And you are defending a fucking criminal yeah. who attempted to kill someone. So you can't do the minimum effort to figure out what this person's background is. And you show up in court and say he has no record and you're fighting for him to be released from jail on bail it is not forgivable. Here's what he also goes on to say about the situation. He says that Brandon is just misunderstood. Brandon lives in Folsom and he has for a very long time. He has worked at Softnet doing software consulting in the city of Folsom for the past three years and he would be happy to wear a GPS monitor as part of the terms of his bail, your honor. And he can make all and any future court dates. So um, you don't even know where your client lives. He does not live in Folsom. And he sure as hell's not working at Softnet. If our listeners remember, that's the company he created when he divorced you, like right yeah. after. And he used right. your, your Kirkland address. You know what? I'm just, the impact of what you just said really hit me. The fact that he was using Frame. No, he was using Softnet. Softnet that's from like 2016. That's like three phony businesses ago. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, but exactly. Multiple years ago, though. Yes, 2016. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, he's reaching. He's reaching. And this is also disgusting, this next paragraph. So he goes on to say that, so what we have, Your Honor, is this is a dispute of the facts that are alleged against him. Nevertheless, we have somebody with no record who does have ties to the community, who does have a job who is willing to submit to GPS monitoring and any terms the court puts on his bail. And we don't have an attempted murder charge. We don't have a murder charge. We don't have a life exposure sex charge. We have the kinds of charges that result from, great, ready, ready for it? That result from a highly escalated relationship situation. Oh my. Okay, I'm so confused. Did he not see what his client was being charged right so That's like, weird right i don't know i just i hear something like that and maybe because we have ptsd from going through the courts previously that you have the audacity to minimize something so serious didn't do your due diligence on the person that you're rep representing that it just feels so disgusting like how do you live with yourself i know my blood's boiling and I know this has all been put to rest and it's all done. Um, and I know how convincing Brandon is, but this man still has an oath to the law. And I, wow, that's pretty awful. So then they start going into Brandon's ability, like his money and the ability to pay bond. So, um, you know, obviously the prosecutors are saying, yes, the dude has money and his defense lawyer. Oh, no, he doesn't have any money. So after he just said he was working in Folsom, had his own company, basically he says, well, I haven't gone over my client breakdowns of debts and assets and so forth. But I just asked him to summarize his net worth and he believes his monthly income is five thousand dollars. And that's it. The whole thing's a lie. I mean, he's living out there. He's renting fancy cars. He's paying for a furnished home. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that 
he was lying about what he made because he is a liar and he's proud. So does he want, does he even want this judge or random strangers to know that he's broke at this, almost broke at this point? He doesn't want them to keep raising the bail because he wants it to be within his reach. Got it. He's probably scheming in his head, like, how am I going to make bail? But first of all, I got to make sure that that is an option on the table. But right now it's not. And just to be clear, um, so this doesn't come across how what we're saying sounds off to other people regarding the financial aspect. Washington, California, even Oregon, um, you know, the cost of living is so much higher that the income here is so much higher, meaning when we say $5,000 doesn't sound like a lot a month, um, compared to what he used to make, that is a smaller amount, but that is that is not a substantial amount for living in California. Then the prosecutor jumps in and she's like, I, you know, I've had, I have to say that I've had this case now for a couple of days. And essentially since its inception, there's a lot of more additional information that I learned today. But in a nutshell, it appears that the defendant is not being honest with attorney, which is not too shocking to me. And then she goes on to say, I have now gotten to hear from multiple previous victims and appears that the defendant is somewhat of a, I'm just going to go ahead and say it because it's the only appropriate phrase, a pathological liar. So she totally said this in court. I love her. And she goes on to say he is living in Washington as far as I know, and at least what he portrays to other people. He does, in fact, rent cars. I don't know if he owns one up there, but he rents Mercedes and Teslas and all of the fancy cars there are. Thank you. Yes, and he's currently not living in Folsom. That would also be a lie. He's living in an Airbnb, and I believe that's in the Rockland area, which he's renting, and it's set to expire on Friday. So all of the things that he has claimed to his attorney, it's not Mr. You know, Miner's Miner's fault, but they are additional lies. She did her due diligence. She knew the facts. She looked it up. She looked into research. Like, she researched his past, and thank God for that. Then it sounds like Brandon... Uh, stood up. Oh, no. So the bailiff said, you don't get to stand up. Do not stand up. Sit back down. And then his lawyer kind of chimed in, was like, I'll move over there a little bit closer. And then he goes on to say, my client was born in 1978 and has no record up until now. No record period of any convictions. After what she just said? Yes. So this is what he goes on to say. Like, he has no record. He has no convictions, which... Are, are com- it's completely false. Like, are, are you just looking in the state of California? Do not do a broader scope. Like, it's, it's really dumbfounding. Yeah. In addition, he also says he has no record in family law situations. I know that would get you. I was like, Dean is going to be pissed. I'm, yeah, um, my heart's beating fast. His defense lawyer says he has no domestic violence restraining orders either. Ever. And this is often complicated sides to all of it. And none of this to say that the charges aren't serious enough to require imposing bail, just that the bail should be imposed, not that it should rise to the level of a no bail situation. Thankfully, the courts denied him. So, but that was pretty juicy. I was like, wow. Yes. By March 21st, his lawyer was now asking for a 1017. So I had to look for that. It's basically a psych evaluation. Yeah. yeah. So by April 25th, oh, our little persistent Benny boy, he's still requesting bail. 
Of course. And he has a new lawyer at this point. He said he was hoping to address bail today for Mr. Johnson based off of a change in circumstance. Brandon was trying to say that he has a person that he could stay at their house for. So his de defense lawyer is basically like, we contacted this Mr. XYZ person. And this person was supposed to be here today, but he wasn't able because of his job. My investigators did verify this person's address. It's a legitimate address and that this man has stated that he is willing to have Mr. Johnson stay there. Do you know who it is? I, because I do my fucking due diligence, I looked up the dude, the dude's friends with Rachel on Facebook. So Brandon told his lawyer that this is like a court appointed person that would make sure that he was being a good person or whatever. This person is friends with Rachel. Oh, courts didn't know that. Weird. Yeah. Weird. And it, does this person, do you think it existed or do you think he was trying to make this something up? Or? I don't know if mm. this person volunteered or Brandon just said he did. Yeah. But he yeah. was using this guy's name, but this guy is friends, at least on social media with Rachel. So if anything, he was probably planning on getting this guy to help him get in contact with Rachel. I bet you anything. Mr. Johnson is facing some medical issues. Of course. And this is the, the best. Can you even imagine what the medical issue is that is so pressing? His testosterone level? That's one of them. You Can are he? right. Shut the, the fuck up. The second one is an emergency medical root canal. I don't even know. I don't even know what to say right now. So he got know. shot down again. Now we're into May and he still has the same defense attorney. This time they come back with... We're requesting a different 1017 with a different doctor. So I'm assuming they didn't like the results. No, no. <laughs> From the first doctor. So yeah. they're coming back with, I like yeah. a redo on that one. I need to be more crazy and more whatever. <laughs> I have no idea. Seriously. I know. Yeah. This is where clearly the prosecutors annoyed as fuck and is like, I'm so sick of this bullshit. Like every single time <laughs> we have, you know what I mean? So she yeah. goes, well. The people would object to the defendant just being released in this case. He has absolutely no ties to this area. He has a history of repeatedly being deceptive and lying both to the court and to the victim in this case regarding his identity. He was staying in Airbnbs two weeks at a time and moving from state to state. I believe he originates in Washington, but we haven't still been able to track down exactly who he is and where he is from. Of great importance is the risk and safety to the victim and also to the community. In January, we got the fantastic news that Ben would forego a jury trial in favor of the plea deal offered. We couldn't believe it. Filled with mixed emotion and a sense of relief that we'd all be safe for at least a few years, we decided to fly to California for the big day. But Mother Nature had other plans. Myself, Amber, Avery, and Daisy all had our flights booked and an Airbnb reserved when a massive snowstorm blanketed the entire Pacific Northwest, canceling multiple flights. And while we couldn't be there, we did hear from Melinda from the Sacramento Bee who filled us in on all of the details. Here's a candid Zoom call between us when Amber tells me about how it all went down in court that morning. Oh, God. I don't even know, like... Oh, okay. okay. Start from the beginning. I love details. Okay, I'll start with he's going to jail for 10 years. 
solid solid no option to dispute it no option for parole 10 years in the slammer oh my god I'm and so the happy. rest of it's even like oh Wait, there's more? i mean she so melinda the reporter oh she's the one that called me she went okay. to today's court and she was like oh my god it was just crazy like She's like, I was sitting there and I happened to be sitting behind Brandon's lawyer and I could hear him talking to the bailiff. And of course, Brandon is glaring her down, her and the prosecuting attorney. She's sitting next to his defense attorney who is talking to the bailiff and under his breath, she could hear him whispering, this guy is squirrely. We better, like, I don't know what he's going to do. So up until this Whoa, moment, who's saying the guy's squirrely? Brandon's attorney. Under his breath. To the bailiff? Yes. Oh. He's wish-washy, and I don't know what he's going to do. So we need to get this going, because as of now, he's going to agree with the plea deal, but I can't guarantee that. Like, let's get the show on the road. And she's like, the whole entire time, Brandon is shaking his head no. Like, this is not correct. I didn't do this stuff like completely like, nope, nope, nope. And so she's like, oh my God, the judge, you have to verbally say, yeah, yes, this, right. yes, that, whatever. He Especially was mumbling. Oh yeah. He was mumbling so low that no one could hear him because he didn't want to say yes to anything. He was just talking in a whisper and she's like, can you speak louder, please? Yeah. So oh yeah, my God. he, he said minute. yes. Yes, that I was going there to kidnap her and rape her. <gasps> yes to everything. Kidnap and rape that her? it was mm-hmm. Yes, that he had premeditated all of it. Oh my god. Yeah, yes to everything. I'm dumbfounded. I have goosebumps all over my arms. I'm just like is this really happening? I feel like I should cry, but I I can't. I think I'm just in shock. Yeah. Like this has been so many years coming that it doesn't even seem believable that yeah. we we did this. I know. (laughs) We did this. I know. Like he can't hurt. I know. He can't hurt anybody anymore. I started thinking about it like is us sounding like giving ourselves props, like, oh my God, we're so great. But I realized, no, we've been through hell. And if it wasn't for us being brave enough to do the podcast, then Rachel never would have found out the truth about him, about Brandon. And we never would have been there. <laughs> he drug us through the mud because we did these things. And now for justice to be served, finally, mm-hmm. and the fact that Rachel's safe alive with her children i mean like my child's alive i just i just i feel like it's not real i know and you know i think for me none of this could have happened had it not been for a collective effort and i couldn't have done it without you and vice versa absolutely i I never could have done this without you yeah no way like if it wasn't for you and me together there's no way I would have just been like, I can't do this. I wish he just goes away and leaves me alone. But I think we felt so empowered. And after Jessica, yeah. 
you know, passed away, we just had this fire and we didn't even know it was so uncharted. I didn't even know what to expect. This has been the craziest journey I've ever been on. And seeing that the effect of the podcast has on so many people and that it actually did bring awareness by outing his name that Rachel in another state learned about him and that we kept these doors open. And it was nice to be like, he didn't, he tried, he tried to pit her against us, but she was strong enough to not. She always was kind and respectful and didn't immediately believe him that we were evil and that we were lying. Even though she stayed for quite some time, she definitely kept the doors open. And that's so important because that saved her life. Everything you and I learned of what not to do, we did the right way this time. And we never pressured her. We never made her feel stupid or I don't know. We just, I feel like we approach the right way, the way that everyone needs to be aware of and start doing if you want better results. Cause talking shit and being judgy is not going to get you anywhere in these types of situations. Chuck, Ben's biological father, had this to say. Have you talked to him since he took the plea deal and and got transferred at all? And Yeah, one time. Do you think he's going to get any kind of psychiatric help at all? Or are they just going to let him out in 10 years and he's going to be back to doing what he does? Probably, probably so. Cause he, I asked him, are you seeing any doctors or psychologists or anything? And he said, nope. He said, there's nothing wrong with me. Brandy, they put you in jail for 10 years. Well, I'm going to be out in two and a half. That's when, that's when he told his mother. That's what he told me. He said, Brandy, there's no way. They sent you the 10 years. And then when because you're they charge you with being a sex offender, they're going to turn around and have you on uh, the, the uh, sex offenders list and have you on parole for like 10 years after you get out of prison because that's what they do with sex offenders. And he told me, no, I'm out in two years and they're not going to put me on this list. I said, Brandon, he told you right in court that they're putting you on that list. And he wouldn't listen. But I only, I only talked to him twice since he you know, went to prison. That was right. Right when they transferred him, and then a week and a half later, he called me and said, did I get his computer and his two phones from the jail? And I said, no, I didn't get them because they said they were evidence. So I couldn't get them. So now we just discovered the, that he's trying to take you to small claims for that. Yeah. Isn't that ridiculous? That's ridiculous. Not yeah. surprising, though. But on a good note, Chuck, do you want to tell everyone how you have formed a nice relationship with your two granddaughters since yeah. this all came yeah. out and came to be? Yeah. And I tell you what, they're great girls. They worry about me and all that stuff. But yeah, everything, every, everything's a lot better. Well, I'm glad there was like a silver yes. lining in this shit show yes. with Brandon and... Yeah. I'm sure it's devastating and heartbreaking to hear about your son, but I'm glad that you gained a few other people that love you, including me and yep. Athena. And, you know, we're all here for you. So 
I appreciate it. Believe me. You don't know what it means to me. They have you guys in my life, and I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Yeah, it did come full circle, didn't it? Yep, sure did. Couldn't be any more random, but hey. Thank yeah. you so much for for agreeing to do this. I really wanted, um, you know, especially for Brandon's old you know, family or friends, it's hard for people to, I mean, now they believe things because they have to. It's documented. Yeah. But I know it was really hard. And we wanted more of just an honest, neutral, even just a little bit of feedback of how you met or how that went down to come from somebody else other than us narrating. So I yeah. think it would be really good to have your voice on there. And Well, you know, I, I think what you guys are doing is important. And the reason why I say that is because everything he's done to you guys, everything he's done to all those other women and everything else like that, people need to know what type of person he, he is and what he can do. And, by you guys doing this, it kind of levels the playing ground. So if he, people will know that he does this, this, and this, and they won't go around him or be a victim to him. Exactly. No. Exactly. Melinda's article in the Sacramento Bee came out right after Ben took the plea deal and featured both of us on the cover of the newspaper entitled Brandon's Last Con. She recounted what transpired in court. Johnson is now going to prison on charges of assault and attempted kidnapping with intent to rape a fourth ex. In the 10-year plea deal he accepted in an El Dorado County courtroom on Friday, he waived his right to appeal and will formally be sentenced on February 24th. The judge repeatedly had to ask him to speak up, but eventually, in between rolling his eyes, shaking his head in disgust, and glaring at the female prosecutor, Johnson also accepted responsibility for aggravating factors including engaging in violent conduct that poses a threat to society, targeting victims who are especially vulnerable, and doing so after a level of planning considered sophisticated or professional. Admit or deny? Judge Vicki Ashworth asked him. Admit, admit, admit. He's going away because on March 12th of last year, he broke into the home of a former girlfriend in El Dorado Hills. He showed up ready to rape, kill, kidnap, all three, or a variety of the three. Deputy District Attorney Cassie Cardulo said at his arraignment, where Johnson kept interjecting even after being admonished by the judge. On March 2nd, in violation of a February protective order, Cardulo told the court he pulled up at the woman's job in a rented black van grabbed her by the arm, and terrified her with zip ties. There were no zip ties, Johnson yelled out. And later that same week, Cardulo told the judge that Johnson broke into her home in the middle of the night and sexually assaulted her. The third time, she said, he came prepared for something even darker. He had a rape kit, all the tools necessary to subdue and abduct her, on his person, in his truck that he had rented. The back seats were already down, and there were already handcuffs ready in the seats attached to the back of the chairs, the prosecutor told the court. Oh, and he had duct tape already peeled off and cut into particular pieces taped inside of his jacket as a time saver. It's almost as if this wasn't his first attempt. Why you'd bring a rape kit with you to either pick up or pick up after a dog is unclear. He told me he'd been carrying those items around with him for a long time, 
afraid as he was for his own safety on account of his two evil ex-wives, whose podcast has made him a target. When the big article with the Sacramento Bee backfired and the truth about what really happened was exposed, Ben turned to Amber just a few months after the verdict. Ben had his mother send an email with copies of his medical records to prove the police abused him. Maybe this was in hopes that somehow, some way, she would see the light and bring it to the world's attention on our podcast. Does he want me as his ally? Is that what's happening here? Or like, why does he think I would be his ally? <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm not sure. He why. is. I think he would try with anybody he possibly could. And I think the last few communications, he's. Mm, do I want to give this away? I was going to say we've kind of played nice in hopes that maybe you could have a conversation that we could use for the pod. I bet he used that in his own mind, created a different scenario and believes a different scenario. Like he can talk to you. He can get you back. He can this. He can. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We decided to scrap that idea because really we have something juicier. So as we're going through these documents, <laughs> we realize he sent us the police reports that I was not able to obtain. So now mm-hmm. I have my hands on them. Mm-hmm. Has all of his handwritings and the side notes. And we have health records, but I'm still suspicious of those. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why, because we'll kind of go over some of um, a few little details. And then um, what else? There's a few things in this packet. So basically, there's so many notes and handwritten, like everything that in his mind of what he I says know. happened. So I don't feel like we even need to talk to him. We have in writing yeah. what his version is. So if anyone is yeah. curious, we'll put it as a bonus episode. If you want to yeah. hear it, great. If you don't, new episodes are coming out with new listener stories. But for anyone who really wants to hear like from his mind of what he was thinking, because it is crazy. The account that he gives in in that report you have of what happened to him and what the police officers did to him versus I think two or three officers statements of what happened are so night and day, but even reading it, it makes you like wonder because he is that good when he says stuff or writes stuff and you're just thinking like, what, what? Like, especially with all the crazy stuff in the media and the news, like, are they dirty cops? Well, um, because there was some inconsistencies. Yeah, there in was. some of the reports by the police with, and so I'm like, oh. If he's so innocent, why did he tell me, if he, yeah, if it was just a mistake, right? Why did he create the most crazy, bogus story that he lied and told me? He got jumped in a park, he this, he that, like, why couldn't you have just said, I got into the wrong rental car? And no, he said that people put out cigarette burns on him. Like they stole his shoes, all of his clothes. He made up the whole thing if he was that innocent. I think he was so fucking out of it and on steroids. Or like, remember, he was getting that hormone stuff there. He's probably all roided out, all crazy. Blah, like fucking smoke, like sniffing bath salts, whatever the hell he was on. I have no idea. I yeah. think. He lost his fucking mind, got crazy, was stunned. Because even when he got arrested in that report, you'll see they had to stun him like what three times before he went oh, down. Like five, like okay, five times. There you go. There yeah. you go. Some of the things on the 
the dignity health stuff, you know, it talks about, you know, what he was only on anxiety medicine, like that the, the drug screen was, you know, all negative except alcohol. So like nothing else was in his, um, system essentially. And it's talking about having, he had no neuromotor strength, no movement. It's noted that he has long-term memory loss, short-term memory loss. But like, if it, he's like highlighting it, but like, if you had it, those, how can you write all the notes remembering exactly what happened? I know. And then at you the know? end, do you see at the end how it's like all those functions are back? And that by the end of the week or two weeks when he's out or four or five days or whatever it was, it was like, yeah, oh, I did. Out. Yeah. I was going through the pages and I'm, you know, me being OCD, like making sure everything is aligned. So I noticed that the pages that he gave me all had the same letterhead, but at the <laughs> bottom of the pages, there was a lot of pages missing. There was 324 pages. I got one, two, three, six. Picked and chose what he wanted you to see or not see. And yes, not to mention there's <laughs> a conclusion and recommendation page and diagnosis and it's like it's weird it's from like a psychologist i don't know if it's from the eval but it looks like a word document like someone created it it looks very suspicious but it basically says diagnosis uh dsm-5 axis one major depressive disorder post-traumatic stress disorder and post-concussional syndrome rule out bipolar disorder no axis two rule out borderline personality disorder and traits yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly. Treatment That's recommendation right. that he should be evaluated by a neurologist. He's most likely suffering from a post concussional syndrome. He claimed to be unconscious for several days in a coma. He appeared to have suffered from a significant brain injury. This sounds like he wrote it himself. It's crazy. Recommended. I recommend an MRI with psychotropic medication should be assessed given reported episodes. Blah, blah, blah. In conclusion, defendant Johnson requires neurological and psychiatric treatment in the form of psychotherapy and psychotropic therapy. It's my opinion with reasonable medical certainty that despite some cognitive limitations, he's currently competent to stand trial. And it says the name of the guy. So I look up the name of the guy. He's legit. But this is what Brandon does. But then yeah. as I'm noticing, I'm like this letter that he's attached from this supposed forensic examiner, no letterhead at all um it's not like the other pages before it looks like it was created in word um nowhere in the medical documents that he gave me did it say he was ever in a coma yet this guy's saying I, he told me he was in a coma but nothing told me in the previous stuff he sent me that he was in a coma it doesn't read like a doctor would you know i used to work at a healthcare system i've seen stuff it does it's not written how a doctor would write Right. or how they take notes. Um, and I also noticed that the signature looks suspiciously like a scribble that Brandon had done in the past, but I can't confirm or anything. After sentencing, Ben was transferred from the El Dorado County Prison to Avenal State Prison, a medium security prison, most notable for inmates Robert John Bardot, who murdered rising Hollywood star Rebecca Schaefer in the 80s, serial killer Gerald Parker, and musician Billy Preston. Ben must complete 80% of his sentence before ever being considered for parole. I also recently received an email on December 5th from Christopher Fial. He is the senior deputy prosecuting attorney for the state of Washington in King County. His email reads as follows. 
Athena, I'm a senior prosecutor with King County, and I wanted to reach out to you to discuss Brandon Johnson. I have inherited his case in our county, which charges him with stealing from HTC. I've got a copy of an interview you did with my predecessor, Paul Sewell, and a Seattle police detective. Mr. Johnson has been transported from California prison to our jail, and that means our case will now move pretty quickly toward a plea or trial. I would like to chat with you about that and also discuss whatever materials you might still have and be willing to send my way. Would you have time to talk by phone this week or next? Thank you, Christopher. I, of course, responded by email to the prosecuting attorney with a hell yes, sign me up. Therefore, the senior deputy prosecuting attorney and I will be speaking next week. And I, of course, will be posting an update about what goes down on our Facebook page. Now, as far as Ben's mother, yes, she absolutely still believes that her son is innocent and believes that all of the charges will be dropped against him. One would hope, now that she is physically seeing him being transferred up to Washington State to stand trial for the charges here, that her eyes might be opened up a bit, but I unfortunately do not believe that will ever happen. And rumor has it that Benny Boy is quietly writing a tell-all book. So, anyone curious about what else Ben sent Amber? Well, for subscribers, you can hear a special bonus episode with us reviewing the police reports that were sealed, along with Ben's account in his own handwriting about the events that transpired. We'll add the link to subscribe in our show notes. On behalf of Amber and myself, we would like to thank all of our listeners for all of your continued support while on this journey. And once again, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review and make sure to join our private Facebook group for even more juicy info. You can also find us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. And of course, you can always visit our site at www.xwivesundercover.com.